Hey everyone, Tom here. A quick word before we start. If you want to rise in your organization, we have posted a PDF for you that I think will be helpful. The PDF is called Four Factors Executives Need to Know to Be Effective. In addition to the factors themselves, there are also four resources to help you improve your skills. I really believe that if you pay attention to these four factors, you will develop executive behaviors. Like all the PDFs, they're free, help yourself, they're in the tool bin on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. It's EssentialCom with two M's dot com. And by the way, thank you for your feedback to us. You have really liked these tools, and I'm so glad that's what they were intended for. I'm glad they're helpful. You're about to hear a rebroadcast of an episode from 2017 called Conflict. It's an audience favorite, and it is a favorite of mine. I think the tools in it are great. I'm doing a rebroadcast because I am overseas visiting my youngest daughter. She lives in Bali. If you want a little peek, her Instagram is at Julia Wild. Who knows? You might look at her feed and I might crop up there. But no matter what, I promise we're having a good time. I hope you are too. Okay, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about conflict. Ashley was fed up with two of her direct reports. A bubble of anger between the pair seemed in constant danger of exploding. Their conflict had impacted productivity and quality, and she wanted it to end. I asked her how each direct report approached conflict. She said, Nita's thorny, very defensive, accusatory. She's better than she was, but she ain't no buttercup. She went on, Jay is an avoider. He'll tell me the problem, and I'm pretty certain he talks to others, but he doesn't talk to Nita. He does a lot of pouting and fuming. I said, when Jay talks to you, what kind of story is he telling? Oh, it's a big victim story, she said, and she's the big bad wolf. Well, and vice versa, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, she's got it in for him, too, she said, hence the conflict. She shook her head. So what do I do? I spread my hands as if marking the edges of a large box. I said, here is this thing called conflict. It's actually a big house. It's got a name, Conflict House, like something out of Dickens. Anyone with a conflict has to come to Conflict House and work out their conflict inside. Now, most people enter through the front door over here. I indicated my outstretched left hand. This door over here is marked right-wrong. When I enter Conflict House through this door, I know I'm right, and the other person is wrong, and it is powerful. Oh, she said eagerly, but there's a second door. Yeah, I agreed. I tapped my right hand. This other door is called curiosity. 
Now, not as many people use it, but oh, golly, when you enter Conflict House through this door, everything inside gets so much easier. Ashley shook her head. Well, there's certainly no curiosity between Nita and Jay. Lots of blaming, lots of playing the victim, but curiosity? I don't think so. Is that something I could influence? Well, sure, I said. You could ask questions. That's where curiosity starts. Questions like what? she asked. Well, the questions are in three categories. Wait, I'm hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. I settled back and changed tone. What's great about Conflict House is that everything that happens inside is predictable. And if it's predictable, you can get better at it. What makes Conflict House predictable is that once you're inside, no matter which of the two doors you came through, there are only three rooms. Regardless of who you have a conflict with or what your issue is, everything that gets said inside Conflict House is going to happen in one of those three rooms. You and I could watch Jay and Nita, or any random couple, and we could call it out. we go, whoa, they're in room two right now. Whoa, look at that. She just flipped back to room one. I'm telling you, you could score a conflict conversation like you were calling balls and strikes. It's not a hard pattern to recognize. I love things like this, she said. So what's room one? Room one is the what happened conversation. This is where you both try to discover where your stories overlap and where they diverge. And they are going to diverge. If they didn't diverge, you probably wouldn't be in Conflict House. She said, like uh, five people, seven opinions, right? Right, I said. Disagreeing about what happened is inevitable. So, she said, the what happened conversation is when you get to make your case for what you think happened. I nodded agreement with regret. Well, that's the way the conversation might go if you came in through the right wrong door. Did I just do that, she asked? Oh, I did. Okay, wait, let me see. What would what happened sound like if I were curious? Uh, How about uh, what do you think happened? Would that be a good question to ask? Well, it sounds pretty curious to me, I said. But do I ever get to make my case? Well, Ashley, if you mean, do you get to prove you're right, then no. (laughs) Ideally, both people are going to engage in the what happened conversation, and ideally, both will be curious. Even if we don't agree. Right, because agreement isn't the point. Hearing each other is the point. It may be that both versions are going to have to coexist, even if they contradict. Oh, bummer, she said. I don't get to prove my point. I laughed. You know, it's not a wrestling match where one person's going to win and the other person's going to lose. The what happened conversation is a chance just to see the other person's perspective. She laughed. I actually did this last week with a guy. Now, I don't like this guy very much. So I am super cautious what I say to him. Well, he told me something had happened, and I just couldn't imagine it was right. The instant he said it, I got angry. But because I go slowly with this guy, I asked him to explain what he meant. And when I heard his explanation of what happened, I realized there was no issue there at all. What I had thought was going to be a conflict just vanished. And I said, it vanished because you heard his what happened story, right? Yeah, talking about what happened saved me, she smiled. 
So what's room number two? <laughs> Sounds like a game show. I'll take what's behind door number two. Room two, I said, is called Feelings. Oh, really? I am going to hate this room, she said. Feelings were not Ashley's forte. She liked things concrete. I shrugged, saying, If there weren't feelings, you wouldn't be in Conflict House. It's the feelings that turn a normal everyday conversation into a difficult conversation. Just like it's inevitable in Conflict House that there will be different what-happened stories, it's inevitable that there are going to be feelings. They're going to come out one way or another. It's better to have a conversation about them than to act them out. She smiled. Can't I just avoid them altogether? <laughs> Lots of people do, I said. But some people can't. I, I was never very good at masking my feelings. People knew when I was upset, but I didn't know how to talk about my feelings. So they just leaked out all over the place. It certainly did not earn me a lot of respect. I think people felt I was pretty insecure, and I was. She said, well... Jay's feelings are leaking out all over the place. Nita's too in her own way. And you know, I've really had enough of all their feelings. I really don't want to talk about them, Tom. But they're here, Ashley. The feelings are part of what's keeping Jay and Nita stuck in Conflict House. They're going to get out a lot sooner if you could help them name their feelings. Are you joking? How could I possibly help them name their feelings? Be curious. Ask about them. Feelings exist, Ashley. They're real. You can talk about them. She was skeptical. Suppose I do. Suppose Jay tells me that, I don't know, what's he going to say? He's going to say he's pissed. Suppose he says that. What do I say? Thanks for sharing? Ah, you go to room number three, I said. Well, good. Anything's better than the feelings room. Well, wait a minute. I don't know that. Maybe I'm going to hate this one more. What is it? It's the identity room. Somewhere, somehow, your identity is tied up in all this. And that's what landed you in Conflict House in the first place. Identity is the root cause. How do you mean identity, she asked. I'm picturing like Diana Prince and Wonder Woman, like a secret identity. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't mean it that way. I meant identity as what we think about ourselves, like I think I'm a good coach. I think I'm a good dad. What I think about myself. She gave a little laugh. <laughs> it's funny that those are yours. Sometimes what I think about myself sounds pretty critical. I'm an idiot or... I should have done better. I nodded in understanding, saying, yeah, whatever we think about ourselves is our identity. And when we sense our identity is threatened, no matter what our identity is, when we think it's threatened, it provokes a feeling. And it's likely our feelings are going to skew how we act or how we experience things. And suddenly, boom, we find ourselves in one of those rooms in Conflict House. She considered this whole idea, and then she said, it's like there's a connecting door between the identity room and the feelings room. They feed on each other. I waited. I see it in Jay, she said. Nita makes him feel stupid. That's his identity under attack, right? Sounds like what I said. And that identity attack immediately puts him into the feeling room where he gets angry and storms off and pouts. She continued saying, this explains why when people get upset, they start talking about things like respect and integrity and honor. 
It starts with identity. They feel threatened. Then they have feelings about things like respect. Does this sound right? I nodded. She exhaled, oh boy, I can really see myself in this. Then she shook her head and said, but what about Jay and Nita? How do I help them out? Well, here are two ideas you might consider, I offered. One is to start listening for the three conversations. Just learn to recognize them. So you would listen and you would say to yourself, oh, she's explaining her what happened story right now. Or you would listen and then say, oh, oh, he's talking about his identity right now. You will hear them in a different way. I suppose, she said, clearly not hearing that as an answer, how does that help them out? Ah, well, that's the second idea you might consider. It's a little technique to use. Once you hear something that sounds like one of the rooms, like you say, oh, he just made a feeling statement, you then say what you think you heard. Hey, Jay, I'm not sure, but it sounds like you have strong feelings about what happened. She looked startled. Could I really say that? I suppose I could. Ooh, wow, okay. That seems so simple. That's the technique. I just say what I hear? I nodded again. She got a frown. But what do I say when I think it's an identity statement? Hey, Jay, sounds like your identity is really wrapped up in that. I laughed. How about something like, um, I see why this is so important to you. How about that? Because you do see why it's important to him. You see it as his identity being attacked. She nodded. Am I going to do this with each of them separately? You could, I said. But at some point, will I do this with them together? You might, I said. She smiled. I'll be the referee, like you said, calling balls and strikes. Maybe, I agreed. Then more seriously, she asked, But what about when I'm not the referee? How do you mean, I asked. What about when it's me in Conflict House, when I'm the one having feelings? What does that sound like? That coaching conversation, exploring what positive behavior in Conflict House actually sounds like, is the topic of next month's installment of The Look and Sound of Leadership. There's a model here for you. That's what this whole house analogy was all about, that there's a pattern to learn, and it only has three steps, and they can come in any order, but they're always pretty much the same. What happened? Feelings. Identity. And here's what I advocate. I mean, I didn't get to this with Ashley until much later, but I don't want to end this topic without telling you. I advocate that you sort out your rooms before you ever go into conflict house, thinking about things and trying to recognize what's a feeling in you. What's your what happened story? Where's your identity? Thinking about that beforehand is helpful way before you ever walk into conflict house. So if you feel that you're headed towards Conflict House, find someone to tell the story to and listen to yourself. Listen for the three conversations. They're going to be there. It will clarify your thinking. Which leads me to one last idea. Ask yourself, why? Why? Why are you having this conversation? Really, why? What do you want? If you want things like respect and fairness... Those are identity conversations. I am not saying don't have them. 
Just be aware that your identity is no one else's priority. My point is, ask why you're having the conversation. There's a wonderful book written about this by three leaders at the Harvard Negotiation Project. The book is called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. The three authors are, uh, these three are rock stars in the world of interpersonal communications. It's Douglas Stone, Bruce Hatton, Sheila Heen. They have created a great resource, Difficult Conversations. If, on the other hand, you're just looking for something short and sweet, like a podcast episode of The Look and Sound of Leadership, five others that you could listen to are A Difficult Conversation, Disagree Agreeably, Getting Agreement, Repairing Damaged Relationships, and, surprisingly to me, one called Resolving Conflict. I got to tell you, when I saw that one, it was an amazing example of how the universe works. Last month, I asked all of you what you would think if I took some old topics from the past and updated them. And boy, oh boy, you flooded my inbox. That was just hilarious. It was great. You overwhelmingly said, yes, please do that. Only one person asked me not to. So I thought, okay, good. Probably sometime next year, I'll look back at some old topics then. And when I get a chance, I'll see what I think about them now. And then after I had written this one, and after I was putting together the related episodes, I found one called Resolving Conflict, and I laughed because I was just like, I just asked about updating, but I hadn't intended to update, but look, oh my gosh, I just did it. So anyway, thanks for the emails, and next time I update will be intentional. The foundational ideas for this episode happened because of an interview I did on a podcast called Keys to the Shop. The host is a guy named Chris DeFerio, and he has created a great podcast about the coffee business. So Chris's point of view is from being a manager on the floor or being a barista. And we talked about conflict in the shop. It was a great conversation. It was certainly different from what you hear here. And Chris can think like people I don't usually get to talk to about their work. So it was really fun and exciting for me. So it's Keys to the Shop, episode 52. Thanks this month to C. Worcester up in Canada. Thanks for your kind words and your support in iTunes. I really appreciate hearing from you that way, and I was so glad to hear you're changing how you are perceived in the workplace. Way to go. That's it from here. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.